Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Just so glad to see all of you today. I want to welcome those joining us online too. Uh, please interact with our hosts online. Our chat hosts would love to not just sit there in silence, uh, share your name, where you're watching us from, engage with them. In fact, I don't think anyone shows up here on site if you haven't, if you don't check us out online first. I wouldn't, right? I mean, what are you getting into? What's this guy like? What's going on around here? So we're so glad you're with us online. We hope you join, you, join us on site someday if you live close by. This is the best day ever, part two. Like last week was best day ever. Jesus came flying out of a grave. This is like best day ever 2.0. We had nine baptisms, first service. We had we have eight, second. Actually, I think we're going to have more than eight based on what I'm seeing out in the atrium as far as those responding uh, as God knocked on their heart this morning. The, the other reason this is best day ever part two is because we have so many baptisms, this sermon's going to be 20 minutes long. That's it. So, man, I thought, can't get any love around this place. Okay. But it is going to be 20 minutes. It's going to keep it tight. All right, I need audience participation on this. Uh, I have some questions, and just raise your hand if uh, you have any, uh, know the answer to, well, not know the answer, but if you fit into the category. This might actually show our age, or age is a little bit too. Raise your hand if you remember where you were when you found out that President Kennedy was assassinated. Raise your hand. If you remember where you were, okay. Remember, raise your hand if you remember where you were when you found out that the space shuttle Challenger had exploded. Okay, got some more hand. Raise your hand if you remember where you were when you found out about 9-11. Okay, a lot, a lot of hands on that one. Uh, raise your hand if you remember where you were in 2008 when the Philadelphia Phillies won the World Series. <laughs> Unreal. Just... Two strikes already against me, no pun intended. Man, okay, I remember where I was. I'm a Phillies fan, obviously. Um, I was in a living room going nuts because they finally won a World Series. Uh, and I remember a few of those. I, I remember, uh, I remember uh, the Challenger. I was, in, I, think first or, I was in first grade, and we had a half day of school that day, and it came out, and Dad told me in the car. I remember 9-11. Uh, I was in college. I remember that, and I'll talk about some of those in a little bit wasn't quite around for the Kennedy thing, but um, those are defining moments. In fact, this series is called Defining Moments. This is week two of the series, and we as a country, we as a world have had defining moments, right? Those are some of the ones I just gave examples of, and there's many more, Uh, and we as individuals have had defining moments in our life, right? Moments of incredible joy, of incredible celebration when you got married or when you had children or grandchildren or got a new job uh, or graduated college or whatever it might be. Those are celebrations. We've also had moments of incredible sorrow, haven't we? Right? Someone, a loved one passed away. We lost a job, uh, a dream was broken and unfulfilled. In fact, last week, that's what we talked about, right? We said that on Easter Sunday, and I would argue is the most defining moment of all human history. One day when they went to that grave and the stone was rolled away and they looked inside and there was no one left except some linen folded on a bench and they said that Jesus is gone and we know that he rose, he was risen. And because he rose and what we talked about last week, because of Easter, the reason we got all hyped and stoked and jacked up about Easter is that because of Easter, dreams could come back to life. Dreams could come back to life. In fact, if you missed it last week, I encourage you to go check out on our YouTube channel, not because it's a good sermon, because it's truth. 
The idea that we've all experienced broken dreams, right? We've all had things in our life not go the way we wanted them to. And Easter is a reminder that dreams don't have to stay dead. In fact, they come to life. And God wants to put something in our life, a purpose and a meaning beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. And so today we're going to continue with that series. And we have a defining moment. This is a defining moment in the life of Peter. And he has an encounter with Jesus. And we're going to look at that. Before we do, though, uh, raise your hand. And this is participation day, okay? Uh, raise your hand if you've ever had a conversation, a conversation coming up that you knew you're dreading. One of those really tough conversations. Anyone ever have experienced those? Okay. Could be in your marriage where there's just, it's going to be that conversation where your stomach's churning, right? Your palms are sweating. You don't sleep well the night before. Could be a conversation with a boss. Could be a conversation with a neighbor. You just know there's a potential for conflict, Emotions are going to be a little bit more intense. And we get really anxious about those because we don't know how they're going to end, right? I mean, it could blow up. It could be the end of a friendship. It could be some real big trial in the marriage going forward with that. Uh, For 20 years, I coached high school baseball. Over half, roughly half of those, I was a head coach. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but sometimes... Sometimes, parents' view of their child's athletic ability just isn't quite where the kid actually is. I know that's going to stun you, right? Sometimes, parents think their kids are really like the next LeBron. I coach baseball, so like the next, you know, Votto. And they're, yeah, no. Now, I know that's none of you, because all of you have a perfect view of your objective. There's no subjectivity. It's just, okay. So in coaching 20 years, especially head coach part of that time, every single game, I knew that there were parents who were not happy with me. Isn't that a great feeling? Just wonderful. And usually they'll sit right by the third base coaching box too, you know, just looking at you like the stare of death, okay? Uh, And so it just is what it is. But every so often, you would get an email, I'd get an email or a phone call or even after a game, which was uh, like, we just lost the game. Definitely get out of my face. <laughs> but, but just some of those, com- you know, and there, there'd be, like, we want to talk, you know, okay? And I know we, we're not going to talk about how excited they are that their kid's playing very little, uh, right? We want- and so, yeah, I remember in my 20s, early 30s, like I'd, I'd get you know, anxious about those because I'm not that kind of guy that's just going to like, you know, cower or, you know, so, oh yeah, because you're upset, I'm going to play your kid. Like, no, like, I want to win games, and I'm coaching at the varsity level, and, like, if I don't win, we don't, I don't have a job, and, like, okay, you know I'm competitive if you're around here, so it's how it works, okay? And um, so I remember I just, you know, nervous, and then I, I've had enough, I guess, of those over the years. You don't necessarily come immune, but you just, it doesn't bother quite as much, but this, this encounter today is one of those. Peter is feeling that churn in the stomach. He's feeling that nervous. He's feeling that, I don't know how this is going to, how this is going to end, and it could end really bad, and it could, it could be demoralizing. It could be something that just blows up. I'm going to give you a little context before we dive into the text. We are going to be in John chapter 21, so if you want to follow along, I, I forgot the page number, or look up the page number if you want. The Bible's in your row, so just search. It's towards the middle, and then keep going towards the back. But uh, it's going to be on the screen too, but we're going to start in towards the end of it. Here's a little bit of the setting, though. As I said earlier, Jesus defeated death. 
there, you can, uh, if you don't believe that or you're not sure about that, this is the right place for you because that's our value, come as you are. Uh, but there's a ton of historical evidence. Even if you don't believe the Bible, there's a ton of historical evidence. I don't have time to go into that because I'm down to like 13 minutes, right? No, just kidding. Don't be timing me. Um, but uh, there's a ton of historical evidence. He rose from the grave. But before that, Peter was one of his tightest followers. He had a group of 12 disciples, the Bible calls them, but they were the ones who left everything to follow. And then he had three of those 12 who were like all in, and he kind of brought them into like a little, maybe a little inner circle, Peter, Peter, James, and John. So Peter was one of those guys. And Peter was bold, and Peter was crazy and courageous, and a lot of times just did things before he thought about them. I can relate to that. And um, he had told Jesus, hey, Jesus, if everyone abandons you, if everyone denies you, if everyone does goes back to whatever, he goes, you can count on me. I will be the one. I will be the one who won't. I will be the one that you can count on till the cows come home. You're the, I'm the one that's just going to be so steadfast. I, and then in the moment when Jesus needed him most, and you can read that in, your, in the Bible, on the, the day when he went into this trial, one of the, the sh biggest sham trial of human history, uh, Peter's out in the courtyard, and a couple people look at him and say, you know, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? I mean, these, the ones who asked him in that culture at that time were the lowest on the social ladder. Like, I'm talking low, and then you dig a little bit, and that's where you found them. They were so low. And so there wasn't like anyone with a lot of power. I mean, they had no power at all. And, they, and in that moment, three times, three times, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. I mean, you talk about like failure. You talk about letting your best friend down, who you say is your friend. You talk about turning your back. That was Peter. Jesus dies. He raises, he's rose from the dead. And then he starts appearing. And But can you imagine what's going on in Peter? Because I've experienced it. I've betrayed people. I've hurt people. That just that, and that, that wretchedness in your stomach and that, that, shame and, and the guilt and the despair. And then one day, post-resurrection, Peter had gone back to his day job because what else is he going to do, which was a fisherman. So they're out fishing, him and, and a group of the, uh, the followers of Jesus, fishing all night long. They catch nothing. As I read that, I'm like, geez, this guy already feels like a massive failure of what he did. And then he's a professional, he's a, literally a professional fisherman <laughs> in a Sea of Galilee, which had a ton of fish. And all night he caught nothing. He's got to feel like just the biggest bum on earth. This guy appears on the shoreline. He yells out to them, hey, did you catch anything? Nope. Throw your net on the other side. Give that a shot. They do that and they catch a ton of fish. Yeah, a ton of, I mean, they say the net's so heavy they can barely. And so all of a sudden, one of, the guy, one of the guys recognizes that voice. He's like, that is, and who was it? Jesus. He goes, that's Jesus. And Peter instantly, yes, and he jumps out of the boat, swims in, runs into the shoreline. The other guys have to drag the, the um, net in and all that stuff. Jesus, I don't know how he, he's Jesus, so, but he had fish and everything ready for breakfast. And they have this breakfast. And Peter's invited to this breakfast. Now, again, what do you think is going through Peter's mind? The failure, the last encounter he had with Jesus, the guilt, the shame. And let's pick up here in verse 15 and see how this goes. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now that's not literally feeding sheep or lambs. That represented people. It's important to clarify that because you're like, why feed sheep? Okay. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? So second time he asked him that. And Jesus, or he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. But I tell you the truth, this is still Jesus talking. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you want, do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, and my Bible has an ex exclamation point, and so does it on the screen, follow me, follow me. Now, I've read this passage um, a lot of times, and I've even preached on it before. And here's the cool thing about the Bible. Second Tim, or second, yeah, second Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture, so from the verse, first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation, all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, God spoke it. About 40 different authors over a couple thousand years wrote it all down in 66 books that make up what we call the Bible. But God spoke it. And it says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. <laughs> I like things that are useful. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for guidance. It's useful for reproof or for instruction to those who listen. The reality is, if you allow this, now you've got to want it, but if you allow that and say, you know what, I think it is God. I think God could actually speak to me. Because a lot of people are like, how do I hear God's voice? Does he sound like James Earl Jones? Does he sound like, you know, some commercial? No, he just, it's, it's reading the Bible. It's God's words. And he speaks through that. And I had a new moment with God when I was reading that earlier this week. So often when we read the Bible, we talk about what's actually said. This is one of those passages that for the first time I looked at it and said, what's not said in this encounter between Jesus and Peter is the game changer. Now here's why. If you or in this situation where you failed and you go to the one in the awkward conversation, and Jesus had, quote unquote, all the leverage here because he was the one who was betrayed, right? He was the one who was let down. He's, then he's Jesus. You would think he would say to Peter, you know what, Peter? You really messed up. You really let me down. And I needed apology. Didn't do that. He didn't ask him to, to confess. He didn't ask him to change, change his heart or change his mind, which is repentance. And here's the other fascinating thing we don't see happen here, which I am so guilty of as a parent. He did not bring back to light. He did not hit the rewind button and say, you know what, Peter, we did a talk about that time a couple of weeks ago. You remember you were in that courtyard? And you remember, oh, by the way, let's, let's go back a little, hit rewind a little further. You remember when you said you would not, abandoned me? You remember when you said you would not betray me? You remember that? And then you folded like a cheap tent when I needed you most. And I can't believe you did that. I had that conversation with one of my kids yesterday, kind of. <laughs> not to that degree, but no, he didn't say that. If you look at this, he only brought up one topic with Peter. It's fascinating. He only brought up one. This is, a, this is game changer stuff. 
Because this is how Jesus operates, not just with Peter, but this is how he operates with you and me. He asked him three questions. And each of the questions had one, the same word. And I need you to say that word out loud and loudly to me. And that word starts with an L and ends with an of. Okay, so on the count of three, what do you think that word is? One, two, three, love. He just asked him. He didn't replay his failure because we do that in our own minds, don't we? I've taken myself out to the woodshed a few times. I've you know, replayed times I've failed and sin in my life and decisions I've made. He didn't do any of that. There was no rewind button. By the way, God doesn't operate in a rear view mirror. He looks through the windshield. That's good news. Okay. And he just says to him, do you love me? Do you really love me? How much do you love me? And then he says this, then will you follow me? Will you pursue me? Will you come after me? Church, folks, that's what he's saying today. He's not beating you down up over your past. He's not saying, oh, I wish you would have worked harder. I wish you would have done this. I, I can't buy He doesn't say, I can't believe you did that. You're such a loser. That's not the God we serve. He looks at us and he says, I believe in you. He looks at us and he speaks identity. In fact, I want to draw you something real quick. I took a couple art classes this week. Okay. Some of you around here know that you laughed because I didn't take any art classes. And if I took any art classes, they'd kick me out, okay? Because that'd be a failure. Here's what I can draw for you, though. I can draw geometric shapes, kind of, okay? And at the top here, we have the Father. This is God, okay? And what God wants to do for you and I is he wants to speak identity into us. That's what he did to Peter. Now, you probably, if you're paying attention to that last part of that passage, you're like, it got really weird at one point. I understand when he says, do you love me? And a lot of, a lot of people believe he said it three times because Peter denied him three times. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that's, that could be a good rationale. But that makes sense, right? And what I said makes sense, I think, at least in my mind does, of like, that's what God, Jesus looked and said, hey, I'm not going to review the past with you. Do you love me? Because here's why. When God gets your heart, he gets all of you. In fact, I read this quote. I loved it from a guy by the last name of McLaren. He said, Jesus Christ asks, asks each one of us, not for obedience primarily, not for repentance, not for vows, not for conduct, but for a heart. And that being given, all the rest will follow. So true, right? When he has your heart, he has, you know how it is in a marriage. You know, it's not about the vows, although they're important. It's not about all that kind of, it's not about the ring. It's not, it's about the heart, if you have the heart, you got the whole person. How you love, it's no different human relationship with God. If you have your, if he has your heart, he has all of you. But he wants to speak identity into us. That's called grace. It flows this way. When we receive grace, it's a great thing. It's God's power working in your life. And then that leads to obedience. See, a lot of times we get it the other way around. Some of us are in this room today and we've been living in this cycle for maybe years, if not decades. And we go from father down to obedience. We go, we go counterclockwise on this. And we feel like I have to obey him. If I have to obey him, that's where I get my identity, which always will leave you incredibly frustrated. It will leave you very frustrated. And you'll never feel like you measure up, right? You'll always live in shame or guilt or whatever other synonym is just incredibly demoralizing. Because if you feel you have to, what do you do? 
You work harder. You strive more. And when you're not getting it right, when you're not, then you what? You feel like you're a failure. Because your identity, and I don't know if you can say this in church, but it's jacked up. I just said it, okay? It's all messed up. Because you're not getting your identity from the, who God is, says who you are. See, some of us in this room, our identity is, well, I'm an addict. My identity is I'm single. My identity is I'm a failure because I'm divorced. My identity is in, in what I have I've, I've failed in and this and that and the other thing. This is my identity. For others of us, maybe it's not rooted there, but all right, we say our identity is in my job, my identity is in success, my identity is as a dad, as a mom, as a grandma, as a grandpa, as a brother, as a sister, as a mom, as a dad. And there's nothing wrong with those, and the other, the other ones are harmful, kind of just drag you down, the other ones get you distracted, because your identity is not found in the one who created you. I don't know about you, but I've tried to put my identity, which leads to purpose and meaning and significance into all kinds of other things and all kinds of other people. I've, I, my identity, my fake ID, I call it for a long time, was I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, I'm a competitor, I'm a winner, hopefully a winner, you know. That's where I found success, was where I found my value. And if I was more successful, and that, by the way, you always, it was never enough, so you got to work harder, you got to get another degree, you got to go, you got to work more hours, you got to do this, you got to strive, strive, strive. And what's it do? Leaves you exhausted and depleted. And if you find your identity in all those things that are broken in your life, it's going to leave you incredibly frustrated, incredibly depleted, and you're never going to feel like you measure up. And God's looking at you, and he says, you obey me because you want to. Isn't that so much more freedom? Actually, it leads to freedom. Anyone want more freedom in their life? Anyone want more wholeness in their life? Anyone want more significance in their life? Anyone want more purpose? This encounter that Jesus has with Peter is game-changing. In fact, Mark Twain says this. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I love it. The day you're born and the, the day you discover how God made you and designed you, the, the, the giftings and the passions and the abilities and the experiences and your personality, all that kind of stuff, and it leads to then calling. Now, the, the weird part of this encounter was the second part. Jesus spoke identity into Peter and said, I love you. This is who you are. You're a child of mine. I don't look at the past. I look at the forward. He knew, he knew that Peter's heart was broken over his failure, which that is a step we have to take. You have to be broken over your sin. And then he spoke into him the future because it got weird. He was like, hey, by the way, this is how you're going to die. <laughs> Anyone else catch that as you read? Like, What's going on here? Like all of a sudden we went from I love you and feed my, you know, make it be a shepherd, make a difference to, oh, by the way, you're going to die. And this is what I told him. You're going to die the same way I did. You're going to cr be crucified on a cross. History, and you can look at history actually, came, it, was, it was a prophecy. Peter died on a cross, but uh, he, he refused to be crucified the same way Jesus did. So he said, I want to be crucified upside down. And so the history annals tell us that he was crucified upside down by one of the emperors. It might have been Nero. I think it was Nero. Okay. What Jesus is speaking into Peter gets lost in kind of the death and <laughs> what's going on. He was speaking identity. He said, Peter, when you were younger, that's what he said, before, before this moment right now, you waffled. You kind of up and down and kind of went with, you know, you're sometimes in, sometimes weak, sometimes strong, sometimes in, sometimes out. You were sometimes following. You said you would, but then you caved under pressure. He goes, that's not who you're going to be. 
In fact, his name means rock. He said, Peter, another text, he said, I'm going to build the church. This is Jesus' idea, what we're doing today. And Peter, you're going to start the church, first church. You're going to preach the first sermon, which was called Pentecost. 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord that day. And you're going to make a difference in this world, living out of your identity. And so much so that you're not going to waver that eventually the leaders are going to get sick and tired of this movement of people following after Jesus and seeing lives transformed. And it's going to strip their power away. And we all know what happens when power gets stripped. We all go a little funny, especially if they're one that had the power stripped from you. And when that happens, they're going to do the same thing to you that they did to me. That's what he prophesied, if you will, over Peter. See, the questions I asked you at the beginning of the day about 9-11 and about um, Kennedy and, and the Challenger, researchers after 9-11, uh, psychologists started doing the study of how the mind works, and especially how the mind works when it comes to these events. In fact, I kind of geeked out a little bit because I'm a nerd like that. They wrote a research article on it, which I read, and I'm going to share it. No, I'm not going to share it with you. But they, they ended up with this term called flashbulb moments. It's now a scientific, or a, 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 a soft science, it's a scientific term called flashbulb flash moments. In fact, they define it this way. They note that they are characterized by their long-lasting effect and that people can describe it for many years after the fact. Right? And those, I, I remember, and like I said in the Challenger, I remember the car that I got picked up in, what color it was. My, my dad picked me up, that it was half day of school, uh, that the conversation, I remember 9-11, I remember exactly where I was walking behind the cafeteria and with a group of friends, and I remember the question, I remember it like it was yesterday, the question was, do you think it's domestic or international terrorists? I mean, there's a weird, isn't it weird? Like uh, 25 years later, whatever, uh, not that long, but over 20 years later, you remember that, and you do too, right? You remember that. I also have flashball moments in my journey with Jesus. I remember the summer before my eighth grade year. I was at a camp meeting, a summer camp. That's why camps and retreats are so vital for teenagers. I was at a southern camp in Cape May, New Jersey. Cape May, New Jersey is the most southern tip of New Jersey. You go any more south in New Jersey, you go to the Atlantic Ocean. You can look it on the map, okay? And my grandparents have a, had a cottage, still do, have a cottage there, and there was a, a series of services going on. And I was at a service, and I don't even know what was, I don't even remember what was said, which is incredibly encouraging, as that's what I do for a living. But, um, but I remember God was knocking on my heart. And if you've ever had this happen in your life, when you know that you don't know Jesus, you know about him, but you don't know him personally. And in that moment, I knew I needed to make a decision. So they, they had a, uh, what they call an altar call or an invitation, a response. I call it response. And my heart was beating out of my chest. Some of you have maybe been there. My, and I was so, but I knew I had to make a decision. Because we all do, by the way. Every single person who's ever been on this earth, who's on this earth now, who will be on this earth in the future, has to make a decision what they do with Jesus. You accept him or you reject him. That's, there's only two options. It's actually cl pretty clear cut. You accept him or you reject his leadership. That he's a savior and you need a savior for your sin issue. And that's a, that was a light bulb. I remember where I was. I remember the, the evening. I remember, I remember where I went forward. I was on this side. You know, I, my grandpa prayed with me. I mean, I, I remember when I was baptized. See, today is going to be a flashball moment for a number of people. I was 24 years old. I, maybe some of you can relate to this. I did give my life to Christ as a middle schooler, but then high school came and 
some of college, and you, yeah, you meander a little bit, okay? And yeah, maybe I'm the only one who did that, okay? But I did, okay? And then I, I you know, decided, you know what? I don't like this. I, I, I'm not living in my identity. I am not fulfilled. I feel, you know, guilt and shame and all that fun stuff. And so I, I was sitting, I was, like I said, I was a high school teacher for a decade. So I was sitting where you are. They made the challenge to get baptized in a couple weeks. If you, some of you know me, but a lot of you don't. I'm a super big introvert, <laughs> God's sense of humor is just wonderful. I've spent all my career in front of people. Um, but I was like, there's no way I'm getting in front of people. You know, so that's why I put it off some. And then they said, well, they're doing some baptisms after the service. And I'm like, well, less, less people probably hang around. People go. So I got, I got baptized. But I remember outside the building in Lima, Ohio, I was 24 years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I got another defining moment. I remember the calling to go into the classroom. I wanted to be a physical therapist. I remember taking, I, 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 it's like I was still trying to figure things out. I was a junior by then, which that is what it is, but uh, you should figure it out a little. But I was, I'm still trying to figure certain things out. But I was in a classroom setting and I'm helping a student with a, math, with a science problem and the light bulb went off. Like I didn't see the light bulb literally overhead, but if there was one, like the cartoons, I saw it. I'm like, this is the coolest thing in the world. Like, and then I learned that doesn't always work the same way in teaching, but that's when I felt the call and then the call in the ministry. And I'm not going to go into that, but that, that just, because God, it comes out of my identity. As I leaned into more of whose I was, whose I was, not what I did, not who I was, but that I came from the Father and he spoke that, at a, that he was crazy about me and he loved me and he forgave me and all that. Then I started discovering my calling. I'm going to wrap it up. Today is going to be a flashbulb moment for those of you getting baptized. It's going to be a defining moment it's a big deal. In fact, it's another time. It's, it's what we call a sacrament. It's when grace is, more grace is unleashed in your life, more of his power, more of his presence in your life. And I think today can be a flashball moment for all of us. Whether you've been baptized before, whether you've given your life to Christ before, maybe you're here today or joining us online and you're like, I am empty. I don't have significance. I've had success. See, there's a big difference between success and significance. <laughs> Huge difference. I've had success. You can have a lot of success without any significance. And you can have a lot of significance and then whatever the world calls success. It's success in God's eyes. And maybe today is the defining moment, the, fla the flashbulb moment for you is to turn your life to Christ. For others, maybe it's to say, you know what? I'm tired of just chasing after stuff and chasing after this. I want to start asking God, what's he want me to do? We only get one life, right? I think we all agree with that. I don't know where all we fall in our faith journey, but I'm guessing most of us in our theological beliefs, I'm assuming in this, we probably most believe we, we don't reincarnate, okay? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to live a fruitful life or a productive life? I choose fruitful. Let's go make a difference. Let's use what God's given us to impact this world. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I always, I almost every Sunday do it because I'm like, why wouldn't you be almost malpractice, spiritual malpractice not to, to give people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. But if you've given your life to Jesus, maybe you're here today and you've kind of gotten off kilter. You've kind of gone sideways. You, or you've just gotten kind of chasing after the American dream, which is not God's dream, by the way. And today you're going to recommit to follow after him. Would you pray with me? If you're here today and, and the Holy Spirit 
what he does, folks, he, he knocks on our hearts. He convicts because he loves us. And so if you're here today and you feel maybe that conviction, it, it, that's a good thing, by the way. It seems like it's not really good. It's really good if you do something with it. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned and missed his design for our life. But he's also, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us all for all righteousness if we confess that. I don't know your heart, but if God does, and you do, so if that's you today, would you just do some business with God? Would you let him know that you need a savior for your sin issue? Would you start that conversation? Maybe you're not going to make that decision, but you're going to start at least allowing, say, God, I, I just, I want you to kind of do some internal work in my life. For others of us, maybe our flashball moment today is, God, we're going to start, we're going to start pursuing calling. We're going to start pursuing our identity in you. We're going to, Maybe it's today for the first time we realize that I, I, I can obey him because I want to, not because I have to. Father, I just pray that you would just meet each person wherever they are in this space, in the spaces and places where they're watching to us right now, where they're listening for the weeks and months ahead. And that we would just get real with you and we would allow you to move in our life. And we just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.